Well, good morning. My name is Jenny Saviston, and I serve on our kids and students team here at Crossings, and it is such an honor to be with you all. I have a question for you. Usually you land in one camp. You're either really, really team Disney or could care less about Disney. And so these team Disney people, these are like, go to the parks every year, wear the ears, you know what's going on in the Disney movies, the Disney scene. And so some of you might land there. And then there's the other side that really could care less about Disney. Not really your idea of a vacation, standing in line with a bunch of whiny kids and uh, just figuring out where to go next. And you know, there are probably some of you that land somewhere in the middle. And if I'm honest, that's probably where I would have put myself. Uh, but my husband on the other side, after we kind of started figuring out where we like to vacation and what we like to do, I found out he was team Disney. And not your like normal Disney, he's like the research history kind of team Disney. He loves all of the information about Walt Disney and how things came to be. We have this book that explains all the last 50 years. And so over time as a family, we have become more and more likely to experience Disney. So much so that just this past trip that we took, we took our boys to Disney World. And one of the things that Disney World, well, all the parks have are these things called hidden Mickeys. And if you're not familiar with what a hidden Mickey is, they're objects uh, all around the park or symbols that you can look for while you're there at the parks. And it kind of gives you something to do while you're in line. Um, and you'll see the like, just the Disney head with the ears. Um, and so you might be walking through a resort and you would be looking at the normal tile and then all of a sudden you can see there's like an image of a Mickey. Um, and so you point it out and you say, oh, there's a hidden Mickey. Or uh, even so much that their aerial view, if you look from the top down, the solar panels are in the shape of a Mickey head. Um, and then some of my favorites are the really hard ones that if you're looking in the lights, you'll find them. But all over these parks are hidden Mickeys. And it, stopped me to make me think we, we can't recognize something that we're not looking for. Regardless, the hidden Mickeys are there. But if you don't know to be looking for them, you won't even know that they exist. You probably wouldn't even see them. But the second you know what you're looking for, then they start to become apparent. And as we look at Jesus, the one and only, focusing on him as the Messiah, this word recognize is going to be important. I want to make no assumptions that we know what some of these terms mean. So what does it mean when we say Jesus, the Messiah? Messiah in Hebrew language or Old Testament would translate to anointed one. And then the Greek or the New Testament equivalent is the word Christos. And I know a lot of times we like to study language and I can never really understand the Greek, but this one, Christos, is pretty easy to say. So if you say it, you'll be probably saying it right. And then it translates in English to Christ. So the name Jesus Christ is the same as Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the anointed one. And in this scene we're about to set up, let me point out that the original audience would have been expecting the Messiah to appear. They would have known from Old Testament writings that he was coming. They had heard that he was born, and they were anxiously awaiting his arrival. They had their predictions on whether he would come as a gifted military leader or prominent political figure, but either way, they were on the lookout. So let's travel back in time to the scene at the Jordan River. And I want you to picture this. 
John the Baptist is at the bank of the Jordan River holding a revival out in the desert. And people in the crowd would have likely heard about John or maybe even interacted with him at some point. He could be described as unique or maybe even a little bit odd. So as the commotion builds and more and more people are stopping to listen to what he says, there's more people coming from all over and it's important to note who's in this crowd. We have tax collectors, soldiers, Pharisees and Sadducees, members from the community, they're all coming around as John is preaching his famous one-word sermon, Repent. Well, there's a little bit more to it, but the general message to this crowd of people is just that. He's inviting the people to repentance, to turn from their sins and enter into a new way of living. He then steps into the water and begins submerging individuals into the Jordan. They would have understood the Hebrew word baptizo, which is to dip or to submerge, to immerse. And then the questions would start to, to come up. Was he the Messiah that we've all been waiting for? Is this Elijah? Is this the prophet that we're all expecting? They were looking for the Messiah. And so John goes on to say something that they would have understood from Isaiah I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. And then John goes on to tell everyone that standing in this crowd among them is someone they don't even recognize. And I don't know about you, but I imagine that heads kind of start to, to turn and look around like, is it you? Is it me? Like, what's going on? A little bit of maybe even disbelief. What is this guy saying? And as this is happening, he stops and he looks up, seeing a man approaching. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus enters the scene. Let's pick up in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. We'll pick up there. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is, pros it is prosper for us to do this proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Talk about a powerful day by the water. And just reading this over, we can miss so many of the things that the writers in the Gospels want us to recognize about this historical event in Scripture. I've honestly read it more times than I can count, and yet new and surprising things jumped out as I took the time to recognize and look for it. So let's do that this morning. Let's spend just a few moments recognizing some of the hidden Mickeys, would you, from today's text. The first thing is we recognize that his baptism identifies Jesus as the Messiah and begins his public ministry. This is such a pivotal moment in the whole story and should not be looked over. It's the moment that he enters the world to begin what he set out to do. It's not just another day by the river. It's fundamental to his mission on earth. Jesus sought out John's baptism because John was proclaiming the coming Messiah and Jesus was that Messiah. By associating himself with John and John's message, Jesus affirmed both. He showed the world that he, Jesus, 
was the prophesied Messiah. And three things would have happened here that would have alerted the audience to know that he was the appointed one. And the first one is this, the heavens opened. And there's a word that's used there, and it's the word in Greek, schism. And the only other time that this is used in scripture is when the temple curtain was torn. The curtain indicating the ongoing separation between humanity and God because of sin. Jesus taking on the cross removed that separation. The literal curtain was torn. So the heavens opening, it's the removal, it's the separation that they are no longer separated, God and the Father and Jesus. The second thing that happens is the Holy Spirit shows up in a physical form as a dove. And we can go back to the very beginning in Genesis, and we see this same word. Genesis 1-2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And here it is, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It's that same image, this hovering over. We see it in Genesis, we see it here, and then we see it again in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is coming in the form of fire. And then the third thing is the voice of God shows up, and it shows up only three times in the gospel. It shows up here at the transfiguration and in John 12 in the temple. So to the crowd watching, they would have recalled the prophecy that the Messiah would have the spirit of God resting on him. That's Isaiah 11, 2. And he would be God's son, Isaiah 9, 6. This would have been an aha moment for them. And as he walks out of the water, his hair wet, his robe clung to him. His work on earth is beginning. He has the authority of the Father with him and the Spirit guiding him as he embarks on his earthly ministry. And this term to fulfill all righteousness is Jesus telling the world that he will show them how to walk this path correctly. He is entering into the fullness of what he came to do and he is inviting us to join him. He knows and trusts the story of God. And as Christ followers, we too are telling the world around us that we are choosing to walk the path correctly. You're telling them, as you watch me, I am walking towards Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so something to think about in light of this, would you make that statement to those around you? Would you ask that of people? Would you allow people to follow you as you are following Christ or where would you be leading them to? Jesus has invited us to join him in the work that he is doing and to follow him. Baptism doesn't save you. In fact, there's nothing special about the water. It probably comes from OKC or it's really expensive up in Edmond, but it marks that you have been saved. You have a new life, so everything should be different, should look different, and should point people to Jesus. Well, the second thing that we can recognize is the picture that Jesus shows us through his baptism. We recognize this practical picture, and it's, it's easy to overlook this, um, but it's something that's so powerful. Jesus was sinless. He did not need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. But is it possible that he was pointing to a different scene? I grew up baptizing my sister on the regular in our community pool. We would say, buried as our Lord was buried and raised as our Lord was raised to walk in a new life. She probably got baptized like a hundred times. She's totally good. Is that not what you guys did for fun when you were kids? But it gives us this word picture. 
this image of is what he's giving us. It's this final, it's the first act as the coming Messiah pointing to his final act as our suffering savior. We see it in the berry and the rise. I love how last week Jill started this series beginning with the beginning and the end. Now here we are in the beginning and it's actually pointing to the end. It shows the importance of the gospel. It shows the importance of the resurrection. It's not just a thing. It is the thing that he came to do. And he stepped right into his role as the anointed one from the beginning, giving us a picture of just that. In Romans 6 verses 4 and 5, it says this, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's an invitation to a new life in Jesus. It's a recognition of our need for repentance and daily steps of obedience to walk following him. It is a commitment that we are living the resurrected life. Do you ever wonder why your heart is stirred when you witness someone being baptized? I've had the honor and privilege of standing in the water with kids and families as they make that individual decision. And while it is so powerful, that individual, uh, the thing that they walk through, it's very intense. It's almost more powerful as a community watching it. It serves as a reminder to us who have been there, the statement of faith, the significance of what it means in our own lives. We remember, we remember when we made that decision, we remember walking into that water, the commitment to change our minds, to walk in obedience to the way God has called us to. And maybe for you today, that's exactly what you need to hear. Just this idea that it's to think back to your baptism and to reflect on all that God has done in your life and the new life that you are walking in step with him. Well, let's take a look at the third thing we can recognize. We can recognize that we are called to action. Jesus' baptism bookends what he came for and what he was passionate about. His ministry begins with the baptism scene, and his last earthly words were a command to his followers. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always till the very end of age. There is an order to this command. It's first to make disciples, disciples making disciples, that we would make followers of Jesus. And then it says to baptize them, to follow in that example. And then it says teaching them to obey. And what does this word obedience mean? In simple terms, it means hearing the word of God and acting on it. It implies aligning our will to God's will, doing what God has asked us to do. It is when we completely surrender to his authority and base our decisions and our actions on his word. Obedience can look different to each of us in this room today. Maybe for some of you, it's how you live your everyday life so you would begin pointing others to Jesus. Maybe it is being so bold in your faith and inviting others to experience the hope that you have in Christ. Maybe for some of you, it would be taking the next step of your faith and being baptized. And when we take time to look what scripture says, we can recognize Jesus in ways that we have never experienced before. We can gain a better understanding of what he came to do. 
We can get a clearer picture of his teachings and we can be reminded of our role in the story. As someone, as I was studying and researching for this, someone asked me a question that has been sitting with me a little bit. She said, what would you say if Jesus came to this earth, was baptized, was sent to the cross just for you? And it sat with me because my first response to that was like, why would he do that? That seems like if there's, if I'm the only person, surely this wouldn't all be worth it. And then it stopped and it reminded me how much he loves me, that he did this for all of us, but he did it uniquely for me and he did it uniquely for you. And God describes Jesus as beloved and says that he is well pleased with him. His disposition toward us is no different. Behold, this is my daughter who I am well pleased. God's love is central to who he is. It also adds heartbreak to the sacrifice God is making in offering the life of Jesus for the sins of humanity. But he would do it. He would do it. To recognize that he loves you so much that you, if you were the only person on earth that he would save and he would have done the same thing. That you matter, that you are known and you are loved by Jesus, the anointed one the one and only, the Messiah. He began and finished his work with you in mind. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for just this time that we have to take a step back and to recognize who you are. God, I pray this week that we would be uh, willing and available to learn more about you, to be open to hear more from your spirit. God, we're so grateful for the work that you did as you came to earth that you started out with this picture of baptism and you chose to live this life, God, that you've called us to walk in this world with you, to walk in step with you, God. And I pray that we would walk in obedience and that we would learn from you every day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.